0: He said, DJ Veach, we should be shipping gold to you. You will earn 10% of any gold you distribute. So I knew I was in safe hands. I said, how much is it worth? He said, we'll (laughs) start with a smaller quantity. I was like, ah. And then he said, of 25 kilograms, the worth should be about $2.5 million. I said, look, Solomon, if we're going to do it, let's go big. I can handle it. How much gold do you have? He said, it's not a matter of how much gold I have. What matters is your capability of handling it. We could start with 50 kilograms as a child shipment. I said, 50 kilograms? There's no point doing this at all. This should be at least a metric ton. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a hedge fund executive. An this isn't the first time I've seen bullying, my friend. No, no, no. I was like, now look, where are you based? I don't know about you, but I think we're going by the postal service. You don't want to be signed for it. Not all the gold, you know? He said, it will not be easy to convince my company to do a large quantity shipment. I said, Solomon, I am completely with you on this one. I am putting together a visual for you to take into the board meeting. Whole time. As if someone attaches emails, you'll find out. All right, this morning we start a new series called Scam-A-Lot, and um, I don't know if you've ever received emails like that before, but there's scam emails out there. I doubt very seriously anybody has quite responded the way that James Veach has to those, but nonetheless, it's very, very entertaining. So with that said, let's turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, while you're turning there... I do want to invite you to Anniversary Sunday, Um, and we are supplying this year the meat. It's going to be barbecue. It's being made by Joey Caudill, and uh, he's going to bring that, so that's going to be supplied. What we would like you to bring is a side dish, buns, if you eat buns with your barbecue. Some people do, some people don't. And then a dessert and a drink, and that's all in your bulletin, so if you'll just bring those items, and then we'll have a good time next week after the service, um eating food and fellowshiping with each other. We generally try to eat outside, and that's going to be up underneath the trees right out here. So, so it will be a, a good time. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, my name is Philip Brand, and I'm the pastor here. Um, ben Miller was the one that was leading worship this morning. I appreciate that, Tanya Cornett. We're not going to go down that direction. Okay, Genesis chapter 3. That was, that was my, my good friend, um, Matthew Connell Hay. Yeah. So, Genesis chapter 3. Um, this is probably the most significant scam in all of Scripture. This one right here. Uh, brilliantly done by the scam artist. Unfortunately, the two people that were perfect fell for it. Now, um, we can talk in terms of this story as well, did God choose for them to make the bad choice or, and we can get into all kinds of philosophy like that, but, but the fact of the matter is that doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the story happens and it explains exactly why we're here today in this particular environment. They didn't have a choice. If you were to talk about that a little bit, God really stacked the odds to be in their favor they could do anything in this garden, anything in this world, anything at all. The sky was the limit. They, could ha- they had it all. They had everything. Um, they just couldn't eat of one tree. That's it. Just one. Just one one tree in the garden they couldn't eat of. And so this is how this happened. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, we know that that serpent was Satan himself, was the devil himself. Um, He is called a serpent in Revelation. He is called a serpent in in John. We know that this particular um, passage right here, this is Satan in the garden. Uh, Whether he was an actual serpent at this time or whether he would look like a serpent or whatever, we were not there, we do not know. Whether he, he influenced the serpent to talk, we don't know any of that. But what we do know is he was there in the garden and he was going to run the scam of the century. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, oh, sorry, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I'm going to pause. A lot of people have dived into this particular verse of Scripture, and, and they've said, Well, he didn't say to, not to touch it. He didn't, we don't really know if he told them not to touch it or not. We don't know that. Whether she added to the words that God said or not, we, we really don't know that. What we do know, however, is that at this point, she was beginning to think about that tree and how good it looked and that maybe I want to eat some of it. That, that's what she was beginning to think at this point in here. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die by the way. By verse 7, you think that maybe the the snake was correct because she ate of the fruit and she didn't immediately die away. So here he's kind of telling a kind of twisted truth here. You're going to die. It's not going to be a physical death yet. It's going to be a spiritual one that leads to a physical death. But that is something that they didn't completely understand. But the serpent did. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, by the way, she saw it was good for food. Who else in in Genesis saw that things were very good? God Himself. So by looking at this tree and saying, hey, this looks just as good as the tree next to it. This fruit is good. She is beginning to think of herself a little bit more than she um, is. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, because she believed what he said, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. A few things about this. First of all, they had no problem having no clothes on before she ate the fruit. No problem at all. Was it that they didn't notice differences between each other? That is not true. Adam noticed that Eve was different than him. When she walked up to him after she was created in the garden, he knew she was not like him. She knew that, He knew that she was different. She looked at him and knew that he was different. But after you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, after you disobey God, you begin to recognize some things. First of all, you begin to think, hey, um, God's rules aren't good enough, and I am the master of my own fate. And immediately what happened was self-centeredness. They didn't think about the other person with no clothes. They thought about themselves with no clothes, and they went to cover themselves, not help the other person. Are you seeing it? I am the master of my faith. I am going to protect what I have. Therefore, I'm going to sew clothes together. And it created a division between the man and the woman. Are are you following me? The scam was, if you eat of this tree, you will be able to know evil and good, and you will be able to be like God. They bought into it, they ate of the fruit, and they fell immediately. And it wasn't about the other person, it was about themselves. And I would submit to you today that ever since then, humanity, every single one of us, at some level, have always been about me being number one. Everybody in this room, at some point, struggles with you I am number one, everybody else is number two. It is a constant struggle of the human race. Why? Because that is where it began. It is Satan himself that was in heaven at one point that thought he was better than God, that he was number one, and he passed that on to the human race, and the human race bought into it, and so Eve left to make clothes for herself, not for her husband, and Adam left and he made clothes for himself, not for his wife because he was embarrassed with his body and she was embarrassed with her body because they noticed the differences between the two. A difference that they had not even saw as evil or bad or anything not correct up until that point. And Satan, Satan achieved his goal in scamming the entire world. Satan did this. Now, we talk about Satan, and oftentimes we think that he is like got pointed ears and a pitchfork, right? Kind of like well, maybe not like that. Maybe not like that. More like this right here, right? Like this. We think of him like that, right? Or we have even darker drawings, like this one right here, right? Where he's just evil looking. And and we could actually see him coming. You can go to the next slide. I don't like. To look at that. You see, see him coming, right? But Satan isn't like that. Satan's a little more subtle than that. The first thing we need to realize is Satan, the devil, he is real. You may have never seen him, but he is absolutely real. And he is at work. And to deny that he exists or to kind of make fun of him or whatever is, is kind of a travesty because he is a very powerful being. Now he gets his power from God. And God can take that power from him at any moment, but he's more powerful than you and me. And when Satan comes to us, Scripture is very clear. He comes to us as an angel of light. He is very, very, very subtle, very subtle. Do not separate yourself from Genesis chapter 3. Because Satan uses the same tactics on you that he used on Adam and Eve, he uses on us today. I would submit to you this morning that it's probably a lot easier because we're in a fallen nature for him to get us to do stuff. Um, the conversation in Genesis chapter three was probably over a period of time. It seems to be that way, the way the text is written, that it wasn't just one day she showed up at the tree. It was several days that she was talked to. Scripture also tells us and i'm not trying to say anything so don't throw things at me and don't get upset it says in scripture in first timothy chapter 2 verse 14 that the woman was deceived and the man was not that's what it says um, she gave the fruit to the man and the man knew exactly what he was doing he knew exactly what he was doing And I would really like to dive into that a little more, but it doesn't fit into the theme of this whole, whole message. But I just want to pause to say this. There is a reason why God has made the men in this room the spiritual leaders of the home. It is not because that women are less equal than men. It is not because of that is because for some reason, and I do not know why, and we can go round and round with philosophy forever and ever, I do not know why, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It seems that women are quicker to be deceived than men are. And if you think about it for a moment, women oftentimes, when they become the leaders of their home, that is when the actual family goes astray and the man quits leading. When it is a fight for the man to lead spiritually, In the home, that's when he quits leading, and that's when things start going awry in the family. It is the man's responsibility to make sure that the decisions in the home are correct according to Scripture. And if they are going in a different direction, that is a conversation that you have with your wife. In our text today, it should have been Adam saying, wait a minute, God told us not to eat of that fruit, and I know that it's wrong, and I don't care what that snake said, and I don't care how lovely he listened to what you were saying, and you listened to him, and y'all had a great conversation. We are not eating of that fruit, right? And guys, sometimes we know, I know this, sometimes we know that our families are, are not choosing the correct way. We are put there to stop that from happening it is not that your wife is a slave it is not that she's supposed to be submissive and and cook supper and do all that that is not what i'm talking about i'm talking about spiritual direction for your family should come from the man it's in scripture the wife follows that direction does she have input is she equal yes good, good night yes but on judgment day you're going to have to stand accountable for the way you led your, your um, family spiritually, not your wife. Your wife's going to have to stand for some other stuff, and I'm not going to list those today because then I would really get in the mud, okay? But, but, guys, we are the spiritual leaders. We should be about Bible study. We should be about prayer. We should be about pointing our families toward Christ, okay? Back to the, back, back to the, the scam here, okay? So Satan is subtle, by the way. Satan will convince you guys that you are not good enough and smart enough to run your family. And the way he is doing that, the way he is doing that is this culture has waged a war against men and have elevated women. Now the women are above the men, and that is just as incorrect as the men being above the women. It is just as incorrect, just as deadly and in this culture, you're told time and time again, everything you watch on TV makes men look stupid. Everything that, every conference you go to that's a man's conference makes men feel like they're stupid. I'm here today to tell you, guys, we are not stupid. We are different. We are not women, okay? We are men. And just because someone thinks different doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they're different, And God designed this whole thing for the man to be equal with the woman so that they could be a team. We need women in our lives because they think differently. Come on. We need women in our lives. They think differently. We need to listen to women. And women, you need to listen to men. They think differently. And together you go through life and you avoid trouble. Okay? All right. A little passionate about that. I'm absolutely tired of it. Guys, are you tired of it? I mean, it is just, guys are stupid. Disney movies, oh my goodness, Christian films do this. It's always the guy that has to confess and has to sign some type of a covenant and the, and the lady is just, oh, that's so right. You know, she never, she's never wrong. God help us. God, help us. Oh, okay. That is a lie of Satan. We're equal. We're in this thing together. Back to this. So Satan, Satan's subtle. He comes to us in ways we would not expect, and he offers things that seem good, but in the end they aren't. He did this in the Garden of Eden, and he still works that same way today. So that said, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, that would be Satan, the devil, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now let me pause here a moment. We have whole theological discussions, and I I enjoy them, I enjoy them, talking about could Jesus have sinned, could he have not sinned? That does not matter in the story. What matters is Satan thought he had a chance. That's what matters. He was not wasting his time coming to Jesus. He thought in his deluded mind that he had a chance with Christ and tempting Christ to sin, okay? Is everybody cool with that? He wouldn't have been there if he didn't think he had a chance, Okay? So that's, that's what he is. Four, but Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, it is normal for a Jew to take a 40-day fast and at the end of that 40-day fast to throw down on some food. It, it is totally, totally okay. People can actually survive without food for 40 days. It's been proven scientifically because, you know, we always use science when it benefits us and we don't when it doesn't. So nonetheless, he's been 40 days without food, and he is weak. And here are these stones, and Satan tells him to turn those stones into bread. Have you ever read this passage and thought in your mind, what's the big deal? He's hungry. I think that every single time I read this passage, it's 40 days into the fast. Why don't you just go ahead and turn? This is a great idea, right? You've got the power to do it. Nobody's around just go at this rock right here, I mean, psh, bread, psh, loaf for bread. I've eaten some bread before that tasted like rocks, right? But nonetheless, I mean, what's the big deal? Well, there was a big deal with this. We know that, maybe not because we necessarily understand what was wrong, but because, number one, Satan doesn't tempt you to do things that are correct to do. That would go against the definition of temptation. So we know that at some level, on their spiritual level, this was wrong. And Jesus says, no, I'm not done with my fast. I'm not done with this. I'm not supposed to do that. And so he tells Satan, no. So for whatever reason, this was wrong for him to turn bread into stone. And Jesus resists the temptation to do that. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the devil has started to do the same thing that he did in the Old Testament. He's using scripture and he's using scripture to convince the son of God that he can do this. Just jump down. It will be a lot of fun. Angels will come. It's like a, a bungee cord that doesn't exist. They just have wings, right? Though, You would be just fine. So Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, great. So the devil isn't finished. So in verse 8 he says, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, this, this one we all understand. He was there to save the world, right? And I'm sure on Jesus' mind was this cross thing happening in about three years. You bow down and worship Satan right now, he would give you all those kingdoms, You wouldn't have to go to the cross. You wouldn't have to be beaten. You wouldn't have to do any of that. We get that one. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, it's one thing to talk about Adam and Eve being scammed by the devil it's another thing to talk about jesus being scammed by the devil and him actually succeeding it's another thing to talk about you and me and how the devil approaches you and how he tempts you to do things or not to do things so what do you do according to these two passages what do you do um to resist the temptation of the evil one what do you do what do you do first of all you have to be aware of how he works Okay, first um, tactic of, of winning a war is to understand how the enemy works and how he will come to you, right? And what he will do. The devil has a playbook for everybody in this room and there's certain ways that he works um, in those playbooks. First of all, in both of these passages, he offers them something. He offers them something legit he offers them something that on the surface doesn't look like a bad idea. It looks like a good idea. And with Eve in the garden, the tree was perfect. I'm sure it was a beautiful tree. It had no vines running up it. You know, it had no bird. I know you probably had birds, but they weren't pooping on your head or anything like that. You know, it wasn't anything like it. This was a perfect, beautiful, beautiful tree. Man, and it, it just looked so good. So he offered them this fruit and what he offered her was hey you know God he's telling you a bunch of stuff but wouldn't you wouldn't you like control of your own fate wouldn't you like to be like God I mean isn't he a great guy right wouldn't you like to be like God look if I was to ask you right now would you like to be like Jesus every hand would go up in the room right because that's what we're trying to be if, if, if I asked you, would you like to be more holy like God is holy? Everybody in this room would raise their hand and say, hey, I would like to be holy. This is a, a little bit different in that Eve understood she wanted to be equal with God and in control of her life. So if she ate of this fruit, she would have the knowledge of both. And he offered them both something that they could take. He comes to you and offers you stuff all the time. He offers you all kinds of distractions to get your mind off of him and out of his will. And some of those things are good. Sometimes he convinces you that something is going to be good for your children that really isn't good for your children in the end right? But you're convinced that it is. Your kids want to do it. You want to do it. It feels good. Your heart beats for it. Your wife is for it. Your, your husband is for it. You just feel like it's the best thing in the world, and you go for that thing. And on the surface, man, every, everything seems to be going great, and it's really good, but at the end of the journey is where you start paying for it. You pay for the decisions that seem so good, but at the end, we're not all that good. He offered them something and he comes to you and he offers you stuff as well. What else does he do? He takes advantage of your human weakness. I have a different weakness than you have. But it's weak all the same. He does not tempt me in certain areas. Ever. I, and I'm not, trying to say, I have no desire, no desire to get drunk. I'm already drunk naturally, okay? I have no desire to do that. I have, I have, I, I, I don't know, I just have, I have a lot of fun with life, and it, it's just fine with me. I mean, I have no desire to do that. But I do have desires to do other things, right? And, and it's, he, he never, like, you, you could have, any type of drink in front of me all day long. You could have drugs in front of me all day. I will never go down that direction. It's just not something that I'm attracted to. But he has a playbook for me that he brings out every now and then, and he tempts me with those things, with my human weakness. One of them is irritation. I get irritated. I know this is probably shocking to a few of you, but I get irritated every now and then with people. And, and I, that turns into like, like something that I should not be as a Christian and as a pastor, Right? protects and there's Holy Spirit. I'm just being honest. It it just goes that way. I have to watch that because when he comes to me and he tempts me with being irritated, I know where that leads and I cannot allow myself to get to that point. Are are you following me? I could list the other ones, but then you'd probably fire me. But nonetheless, you you have weaknesses. We all have different weaknesses than the other people. He takes advantage of you, so he's going to come to you And he's going to offer your weaknesses to you. And he's going to make those weaknesses seem like it is legit. It is legit for you to be irritated at the person that, and I say this all the time, I have tried to get over it, that stops at a yield sign and yields at a stop sign. It is the same person in the neighborhood. They yield going out of our neighborhood, but when they get to the little circle, they stop. That makes no sense to me. But nonetheless... Irritate, it, it's okay for you to be angry with that. It is not okay for you to be irritated and angry with that. Why? Because it leads to something else. It leads to you being irritated at other people that has nothing to do with them yielding at a stop sign and a stopping at a yield sign. Okay? And you begin to hurt other people. It's not just about that one moment. It's what festers and grows during the day because you've chosen to be irritated, and that irritation just grows all during the day, and then you start going off on people that has nothing to do with anything that you're really irritated about. Are you you tracking with me? What he says to you makes sense. Right? That's the next slide. What he says makes sense. It makes sense to be irritated at the guy that... You know, yields at the stop and stops at the yield. It makes total sense. I mean, didn't they have driver's ed back then? Didn't he listen back then? What what is the issue here? It makes total sense to be irritated. I have a right to be irritated at that. No, you don't have a right to be irritated. But he comes with that temptation to say it makes sense for you stuff that you maybe have tried to stop, stuff you've tried to make, maybe get out of your life, he comes back to you and, and says stuff like, well, you know, you just need to relax a little bit today, so that would be just fine. You, you deserve this because you've been doing this, you, you've been holy for five days. I mean, it's time to be a little unholy now. You're missing out on fun, and he makes the fun kind of, fit in with everybody, seem very, very good, but it just isn't. What he says makes sense. I'll have to say this. This irritates me more than anything else. He is so good at making the bad stuff make sense. How many people do we know that have fallen for this thing where you can choose your gender? and the whole conversation is out of love and out of it just makes sense look if you stop him it does not make sense it doesn't make sense at all but there's even stuff in our own life like things we watch it's okay to watch this nobody's around and it's just you and it's just, no 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 it's it's that's the moment you don't want to watch it he makes the bad stuff makes sense. You run from that. Next, he will use God's word for his purpose, purposes. Now, I'm going to say this, and I, know, I don't hold judgment on anybody, but I, I've, I've talked to people many, many times that come to me, and, and they explain from God's word why they should be able to get a divorce. Listen, there's only two reasons in Scripture why you can get a divorce. Two reasons. Your spouse is unsaved and they leave you, or they cheat on you. They cheat on you, it can be over. Free to go, free to go. Either one of those. But people will take the scriptures and say, Well, God doesn't want this for me. God doesn't want that for me. God doesn't want me to be with this person anymore. And they'll come up with all kinds of reasons for why they can separate and they'll use the scripture. I'm going to tell you who that is, convincing you that the Bible's telling you that. It is the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. And he comes to you as an angel of light to try to convince you of all this stuff so that you'll feel good about doing the wrong thing. Listen, by the way, it is kind of nice to feel good about doing the wrong thing, right? Come on. When you start doing the wrong thing and it feels Come on, guys. We are all human. It feels good to do the wrong thing sometimes. It's what you have to pay for when it's over. That's when he gets you. I am sure that in the garden, that was the best fruit she had ever bitten into the, her entire existence. I'm sure when Adam bit into that, it was the best tasting thing they had ever tasted in their entire life, and they enjoyed eating of that tree. But the end result wasn't so much fun. He will use God's word for his purposes. He will use God's word. So what do you do? You, you know the strategies of the enemy. Second, you quote Scripture. I know there's some of us out here that we're not really good at memorizing, and that's okay, that's okay. I'm gonna give you two scriptures that you can go out of here today and you can remember the rest of your life. And you probably already know them. First one, get thee behind me, Satan. If you wanna use modern terms, get behind me, Satan, get out of here, Satan. Jesus said that to Peter when Peter was being influenced by Satan, right? Get thee behind me. I, I don't want to have anything to do with this get out of here scripture you can quote the second one you can quote is lord lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil it's the lord's prayer you're being tempted lord do not lead me into temptation deliver me from evil do not lead me into temptation deliver me from evil deliver me from evil deliver me from evil I find that sometimes I have to pray that over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again because Satan is really good. As soon as I say, deliver me from evil, the voice that comes in my head or the feeling, well, it's not really all that evil. It's really not all that bad. It's really not... Every, some other people I know do do that. It's really not that that bad. Oh, no, 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 no. Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus, do not... Lead me into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from this. And I'm not going to say that it's a magic trick. It is not a magic trick. Monday of this week, it wasn't until 4 o'clock in the afternoon that I actually got victory from a temptation. I didn't fall for it the whole day, which was better than most days, right? Did not fall for it, but it took me to four o'clock in the afternoon. It just kept creeping in, creeping in, creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. And each time, Lord, please deliver me. I do not want that to be a part of my life. I cannot do that and follow Jesus. I cannot do that and be holy. I cannot do that and live as a light in a world that's so dark. I cannot participate in darkness as a Christian and really be a witness for Him. All day on Monday, all the way to four o'clock, did not get freedom until four. It is not a magic trick, it is a war, is what it is. And you have to fight the war, and you pull out scripture. When you're fighting a war, and I'll tell you the second thing, it's prayer, or the third. Sometimes I can't count, but I was really good in math. Pray. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. Pray. At some point, I think you, you start looking for other people that you can kind of attach yourself to that you know that while you're with them, you will not fall into that temptation. What I've often found is when I attach myself to those people for a little while, and then I go back and I'm alone, that temptation comes right back up. So you pray, you pray, you quote scripture, you recognize his devices, and you push back. You push back. Next, You confess. You confess. Um, I know that Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness if I just merely ask. But this is what helps me sometimes. And I'll go back to the frustration. Lord, you know, I am, I am so sorry. And I know you've already forgiven me for this, but I shouldn't get as frustrated as I normally do. I've been frustrated in the past. I've acted incorrectly in the past. And I'm really sorry for that. And I know that you've forgiven me of that. Please, Lord, that is my weakness. Help me overcome that weakness. Are you tracking with me? So you go back, and even though you have forgiveness, you bring it up for the purpose of telling God that you're weak here and that you need his strength. And where you are weak... You will find him to be very strong, and he will deliver you from that. You confess. You confess. Lord, man, I, in the past I was this way, and I just don't want to do that today. Please, please, please help me. I confess that this looks like a really good thing to do right now, and I'm really leaning toward it, and I really need your help to help me not go in that direction. Are you you tracking? Yeah, confess. And then finally, remember. The reason I brought you to um, Matthew chapter four is because right before that passage, Jesus Christ is baptized, which is an amazing thing to me that he was baptized. He was taken down into the water, brought right back up, A dove came out of heaven that represents the Holy Spirit. God the Father spoke and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It's like a Trinity moment right there in Scripture. It's an amazing thing. Confirmation that he was who he was, he then went on a 40-day fast. During his time of temptation, he remembered that he was the son of the living God you and I when we're in temptation need to remember that we are no longer people that are lost without hope we are God's children I am his son and some of you are his daughters and he loves you as his children we are in his family we are different we need to remember that and live like that. Amen? Remember it and live like that. Please, watch out for the scam artist. He will try to get you any way that he can. Watch out for him. Do not bite. Resist and flee. Resist and flee. Let's pray.